Well, welcome to Round the Table, uh, live with Christian Concern. It's great to be with you. And today we're talking about uh, the vaccine mandate being revoked, which is great news, and also about our Lent prayer resource called True Love Speaks. And I'm joined today uh, by two of my wonderful colleagues, uh, Paul Huxley from Christian Concern and Naveed Syed from the Christian Legal Centre. Welcome to you both. Um, Thank you, Tim. For joining us. And um, first, first up, we're talking about the um, the vaccine mandates. And you may remember that uh, there's been a lot of fuss about this because the government was saying that NHS workers and it was also care home workers um, should be forced to lose their jobs if they don't take the vaccine. And just this week, the government backed down on this and said that they would not be, they've revoked the vaccine mandate. Now, Naveed, on our legal team there, You've been taking the calls from people who have been very concerned about this. Can you tell us something about what it's been like for people um, worrying about this mandate? Thank you. Um, thank you, Tim. It's a real um, pleasure to be able to talk about this. Um, <clears throat> Christian Concern have been at the forefront of, of supporting them, and that's been a real privilege. It's been a real, it, it's been a real work of grace. So it all really started, in brief, it all really started around about July last year when we got intimations from the um, government that the care home, um, people who worked in the care homes, 40,000 of them would have to be double vaccinated. And the, um, the grace period started round about September, but the key date was the 11th of November. So if you weren't vaccinated, uh, in the care sector, so this is in the care home sector, yeah. by the 11th of November, you would actually lose your job. Then that was rolled through to the NHS. And of course, um, that date for the double vaccine was the 3rd of February. And just before uh, the, the 1st or the 2nd of February, of course, uh, the Secretary of State, Savage Javid at that time, um, actually revoked that. But let's just focus on the um, the care home we had we had a great many calls. We were able to to specifically help about twelve people in the NHS. Of course, we were up to we were actually actively supporting sixty people. So that's the sort of the context, the chronological chronological context. And some of these people, Navid, correct me wrong, have had COVID, right? Oh, absolutely, yes. So they've got yeah. antibodies in their body, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Talk me through that. Talk me through that. Okay, right. So let's now, 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 Tim. Do you want me to talk about the care homes and the NHS people, or focus on the care homes? What would you like? Uh, to do? Don't you care homes for now, perhaps? Yeah. Fair care homes. Okay, fine. So in terms of the care homes, we had a whole range of people who contacted us with, um, if you like, their qualms. Um, now I, I've made I've made some notes. I've gone I've gone through the notes uh, of uh, <clears throat> of my conversations, and we had people who had, um, if you like, medical reasons. So they had. For example, either they'd had COVID and therefore had vaccination, uh, had antibodies, or, or in one particular case, uh, they had an autoimmune um, deficiency uh, syndrome, which actually actively prevented them from getting the vaccine. And their doctor had said, "Don't get it." But even then, even that didn't cut any ice with the with the employer. Um, wow. Can I just ask that, Navid? Can I just jump in? Yes, I think didn't the care home um, wasn't it the case that you were allowed to have a, a, um, an exemption based on medical reasons for the care home workers, or was that well, were there no exemptions at all? I have, I, have to, I, have to, I have to say, um, I, I have to say, the the exemption process was nascent. 
um, at when when sort of when the care home issue came along. It was more developed with the NHS. But I have to tell you, of the literally, well, it must be well over 100 people I've spoken to more than that uh, in this particular issue, not just the people we, we sort of helped in a detailed way. Um, I have never seen or heard of anybody getting a medical exemption for a vaccine at all. I know the process. I know what they've got to do, but I have never seen it operate successfully. So, You're talking about for care homes now, are you? Both for care homes and for the NHS. I have never seen it operate successfully. I know nobody. So even if they've got a letter from the GP saying you shouldn't have the vaccine because you've got a particular condition, autoimmune condition you mentioned there, they still, nobody was actually granted them immunity from having the vaccine in order to keep your job. Well, it actually, in that, that let's be specific. In that particular case, that was in a care home, and that was probably around October last year. And the government weren't actually talking about exemptions at that point. That then right. got developed. Okay, so by the time it was developed, let's say January, February this year, yeah. obviously everyone had been sacked from the care homes. But even so, in the NHS, I know nobody who actually went through the process, who actually was was granted one. Um, we had it on the, as they say, on the word on the street that, that doctors were being actively encouraged. We do not know whether that is correct or not. And I'm mm. not saying it was. All I'm telling mm. you is the fact that we have never seen an exemption certificate, wow. a valid exemption certificate. That's okay, it. well, listen, why don't we play, because we've got a video clip, haven't we, of one of our clients on this, um, mm -hmm. Daniela. And then, Paul, I'll come to you about what our position is on this um issue here so let's let's play that clip of daniela how much i love my job um i realized this morning how much i like my my job um Dear Daniela, sorry to have sent this by email. No words can express how I feel about this, but we have to follow the law. There were eight of us who had concerns about it and, and didn't want the vaccine. I think four of us are leaving, just like me. Um, they had their reasons. They, someone else was crying again that, look, I, I have to pay my rent. I can't. I'm forced to take this. I'm not an anti-vaxxer just because I, I had every single vaccination until this one. Um, I even had the flu jab. Uh, I got a bad reaction, but, but nevertheless, I did have it. Um, and with this one, um, I had to think about it because it didn't feel like, it's a, like the other vaccines. With the other vaccines, um, they're not mandated, but with the COVID vaccine, this one is mandated now. And I have to think more carefully um, since they made it a law, I have to um, consider it and I can make my own choice with the other ones as well. But this one, I'm losing my job over it, so I have to um, think about it. I don't understand the reasons why now I'm considered more dangerous than I was before. Because before, none of um, the staff were vaccinated and the residents and we dealt with in very hard circumstances with what we knew and how we knew to cope best and I didn't have I didn't have the virus and I didn't have immunity before so now after months after nine months uh, and most of the residents now are 
vaccinated so already um, they're you know they're protected from me already um, I have now a build-up response so I should be able not to transmit um, less be able to transmit um, and with natural immunity I should be safer around so the reasons I don't understand why they will say that I'm more dangerous now than before. So that's Daniela, a care home worker, who, am I right, actually ended up losing her job. Is that right, Navey? She did. Yes, she, she did lose her job. Yes. She lost her job and she had had COVID and therefore she, she had did. better immunity and, and less chance of passing on than someone getting the vaccines. You know, she just... had a very high, she, as part of working with her, uh, she shared with us her antibody test and it was, it, it was higher it was it was the second highest I've ever seen. It was almost off the scale. It was it was quite incredible. And yet she st yes she still she lost her job. I must say it was an honour to to serve her. You don't often meet people who look unemployment in the face and say, nope, I think I'm going to go through with this. You know, so she did lose her job. It worked out. I know she was able to get other other jobs. She's a very adaptable, intelligent, and gentle woman. Um, a, a real privilege to, to to know her, but she did lose her job. Yes, isn't it, isn't it true though, Navade, that she then went into an, another another role that then would have been hit by the NHS rules? In, indeed, she, she, we were able to advise her to actually, um, because obviously, when you're faced with when you're faced with um, with, with a law from Parliament, it, it, it you know it is it, it is very you have to be creative in in that sense because obviously we want to help people as we can. And so uh, we suggested that she went into another role, which then would have been, uh, she would have lost her job in February. But because that was considered <coughs> the same, it wasn't NHS, but it was like being in the NHS. She was actually in domiciliary care because the Secretary of State then um, basically kicked it into touch um, on, at the very last moment. She, she, she therefore didn't lose her job in domiciliary care. Uh, so, you know, that was a, a good result. And it was through prayer and the grace of God, uh, you know, we were able to help as we could. And that was a real privilege. So, um, Paul, can you just talk us through, because some people might be trying to struggle to see the Christian connection with this kind of case here. Uh, yeah. So Christian concern from uh, the very beginning of uh, of the pandemic was raising concerns about ways in which the government uh, might be overstepping its mark in terms of, as, as the government rightly tried to address the public health concerns relating to COVID-19, it was a very scary um, disease uh, spreading very fast and seeming to be quite dangerous, particularly in its early cases, understandably tried to take public health measures to try to deal with those things. But we were concerned from the very beginning that uh, it might overstep its mark, uh, particularly into um, overbearing uh, rules about church worship, these sorts of things. And so we were very, we we're at the front, forefront of, of challenging some of those measures. Um, but on the vaccine itself, we've remained neutral throughout. We've sought to educate Christians to uh, understand as much as they, as they can about, uh, about safety type issues to do with it, also the ethics to do with it. Um, but we've stayed neutral on the vaccine itself. But as, as time went on and the government started uh, introducing measures like uh, potential vaccine passports. 
COVID certification, um, mandatory vaccines, we were concerned that these issues were were becoming um, freedom of conscience issues. Uh, so for us, the reason we've we've um, done things about this is not so much because we hold a particular position about a vaccine, uh, but it's about compulsion. We highly treasure freedom of conscience. So many Christian legal centre cases throughout the years uh, have been about freedom of conscience. Um, and if uh, the government's able to just override freedom of conscience in the area of vaccines, uh, then it also strengthens its hand to uh, to be overbearing on other issues as well. Uh, maybe we can talk about some of those. Mm. So, um, Naveed, maybe move on then to NHS I and mean, tell us about the issues that went on there. Well, that was that was an, a whole different ball game in that sense. Now, the NHS, I, I'm former NHS myself. I had the privilege of working in a uh, in a what was it a PCT, uh, so a community um, uh, structure. I then worked for six years at a major teaching hospital, and then I, I became a director in the NHS, um, and I worked at the Strategic Health Authority, and I did some work in Whitehall. So I've got some idea of how the NHS works at a particular level, um, mm -hmm. and therefore, uh, again, it was an honour to. Uh, to, to, to serve these um, NHS workers. Um, the, the, the major difference was that um, many of the NHS workers had decades, 37, 45 years in the NHS. These were highly trained professionals. They'd taken exams. They were, in, in some cases, they, they were educated to PhD level. Um, and they had budgets in excess of, well, certainly several million, in, in certain extent, maybe 10 or 12 million. So it was a completely different story. We had 60 people on our books in the sense of just supporting them. And at one point... So these are, these are this, it's quite interesting to note that, isn't it, Anve? Because they are kind of highly educated people making a very informed decision about this. You know, they're, they're not... Yeah, it, is life and, it, is, it is life and heads of service. highly educated medical professionals who know how to make medical decisions and Absolutely. want to make their own medical decision about their own body. I mean, that's that's kind of the thing, isn't it? What's what's happening here? Yeah, what was what was going on? I, I mean, I mean, you, you it, if you transgressed on informed consent as far as uh, as far as dealing with the patient was concerned, that's a regulatory matter. You would be brought up against, you know, with the GMC or the, the NMC or some other regulatory body. And 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 to be honest, the, the government's uh, actions were farcical when it came to informed consent. There's a there's this a professional who understands why an, an mRNA vaccine is different. Let's put it like that. Okay? They understand the medics. They understand mm. the genetics, as it were. And they're saying, I do not give informed consent. And the government is saying, tough, you're losing your job. So, of course, that, that, that's, a, that, 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 that's a huge issue. But again, there were these people who, 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 you know, after 45 years, I can think of one person who I've known, who, who I prayed with, who we, you know, we communicated late at night. And, and we were really trying to, you know, help him try to see what, you know, what, what, he, what he could do. And he said, I'm looking at unemployment in the face. And you know what? I'm still going to do this. And that was for every single person, all the 60 that we were dealing with. And we were not giving our, our own views. We're independent in that sense. Our job is to support them with legal options. And they were coming right. to us and saying, I'm not going to do this no matter what it, what so you, it takes. You weren't saying, yes, I agree, you shouldn't take the vaccine. You were saying, no, I'm not, OK, no, let's work no. out how we can help you given your decision. Yes, of course, we have to be. My personal views on the vaccine are not relevant 
people, as I used to say, people didn't ring for a chat, nice though that may be. They rang somebody to say, what are my options? And we gave them the options. And bluntly, at the time when the MPs had passed the mandate, as it were, the options were around redeployment and the options also were around um, exemption certificates. Well, I've dealt with the exemption certificates. Now, it just so happens that I've, I've spent quite a few years, uh, several decades actually, working in HR. Um, and therefore, I understood, and I've done more redeployments than I can think of in large organisations. So I understood, and I've also worked in the NHS, so I understood how we could negotiate. And I was able to help people negotiate some of the redeployments. And some of those were successful. Many of them were not, I have to tell you, because the chief executives, it was a race to the bottom. Um, you know, who could make sure that everybody, and I mean clerks, and I mean admin people, um, anybody who wasn't frontline was still included because that is one of the ways um, chief executives uh, are, um, if you like, are, you know, come to notice. And, and I, um, in, in case you think I'm being just biased, I was I was on a program to be trained to be a chief executive. So I understand how that sort of thing works. And um, I say it, was, it was just impossible for honest people of conscience to survive. So Nevaid, and then the grace of God came. I'm not a lawyer, Nevaid. You are. Um, but uh, with lots of these issues, both the, the church JR, church worship, freedom of church worship situation early on, also this, I understand that, you know, when, when a government decides it's going to override what would normally be a, a, a human right, a freedom of conscience, a freedom of religion, freedom of speech, these sorts of things, they have to show, according to the human rights laws, uh, that it, the action is proportionate and necessary. And these words keep on coming up in, in various contexts. And so the, the bar, it seems to us, I think, was the bar is really high in terms of overriding those it human is. rights. It it's not just uh, this would be a good thing for us to do because it might help a few people. It might kind of lessen the lessen the danger. You've got to really show it's proportionate and necessary. And um, and when you've got all of these people, these people who served the NHS as doctors and nurses for decades, and you you're faced with a situation where they are not going to be able to do their jobs, and you're going to have to to replace all these people, there's really a there's really a question just on the proportionality: is that really going to help the health service at all in any way? And that's what that was one of the main reasons when you had Omicron. Um, spreading, becoming the dom dominant uh, version of COVID, um, then the, the danger level dropped and you're faced with sacking lots and lots of experienced doctors and nurses. No longer could the government uh, claim that this was proportionate or necessary. It was probably going to have a negative effect. Like it could, it's well, it could well have had a negative effect had they gone through with it. And so that's one of the reasons why they um, why they ended up reversing the policy and they just announced that decision after a consultation. Well, I mean, I think I think obviously those arguments would have been developed in court as they were when uh, we took the um, the Westminster government to court over the church closures in England and Wales. And obviously, yeah. Yeah, and, and also um, yeah. uh, in Scotland, of course, had that you know through the grace of the Lord and the and the skill of the lawyers had had a had a wonderful victory opening the churches. So those those arguments were developed in court. Uh, where we were at the moment, I mean, where where the where the situation was, 
was that um, it looked as if because be, because there there wasn't a, a, an active law case in 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 the sense of uh, one that we were we were working through to to develop those arguments at that moment. Um, it was more about I think if I know anything about the NHS, the chief executive saying I can't manage this. I'm going to lose seventy. We're losing seventy seven thousand people, which is about five percent of the workforce with these experienced people. I'm not going to be able to manage the, 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 the service, as it were. And I think that's where the pressure, from what I understand from the NHS contacts, that's where the pressure came from, as it were. Obviously, it wasn't proportionate. But those, I don't believe those arguments were actually fully developed in, 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 in a court, in a legal scenario, uh, as it were. Yeah. Yeah. So the government backed down this week at the very last minute. Yes. Um, Nevaid, what's been the reaction from your clients to that? Well, at the moment, they're actually in shell shock. Um, I mean, obviously, we're working with them and trying to see what this what what this actually means. Um, but when you've had such a you know such a, a a difficult time, just 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 looking at some of my notes from the from the care home people, um, I, the, there's a client. I, I, forgive me. Obviously, I'm not allowed to give you know many details, but there's a client um, who I call P. Um, he had 15 years. Uh, working in um, sheltered accommodation, he was one of uh, seven carers for four adults who had tw who needed twenty four hour care. He had befriended these people, uh, you know, the, these uh, two of these adults, and basically sure. become their absolute lifeline. Now, this gentleman was sixty three years old when he was fired, when he was sacked, you know, from this from this care home. And where he worked in the country, the chances of him getting another job were were you know infinitesimal. Um, and so, you know, people like that, when you're coming back to them and saying, well, now are you going back? That's a huge trauma. So they're, they're, at the moment, they're just trying to process what's going on. We, we, you know, we will, you know, we will help them out as we can if they require help. Another person um, was a, a trained nurse. This is a care home a, a case again. Uh, um, we'll call her B. Um, she um, she was a trained nurse, but she also did the entertainments in the home and she was the cook as well. And she'd worked there for something like 35 years and still she was fired. So so I think she's got a she's got another job now. But um, but, you know, when, is anybody, we, are they getting their jobs back? Is that is that happening at all? Um, I think I think what's you know, what's happening is that is that the um, is the care home system because it was so ravaged by this, because care homes had to close as well. And, and I have to tell you that we actually had one care home owner saying, um, you know, we, we, we don't just w w want that, uh, as it were. I, I think I think it'll take a little time. It, it'll take probably a couple of weeks, maybe more than that, a couple of months, because obviously care homes have been shut. What do they do about what do they do about that? People have got other jobs. Do they then leave their other jobs and go back to something that they they they, they did? So it's a, it's a watching brief. As, as it were, and we're assisting people where where we can. Bit, okay. bit too early days yet, I think. It's all still very new. It yeah. is. But all of this has gone pretty much under the surface. We've not talked a lot about that as Christian concern, what Christian Legal Centre has been doing, but that's been quite a lot of work. It has been a, it, it, it's been it's been a huge amount of work. But uh, but you know, please hear me. Please hear me. It's been an absolute privilege. I mean, it, it, you know, to be able to, to to help people in their hour of need. You know, the phone was going off at eleven o'clock at night. You know, just before you know, in the beginning of end of January, beginning of uh, uh, February, with people literally melting on the phone, saying, "You know, Nevade, what am I going to do?" And and we were actually just praying and saying, 
you know, let's, let, you know, let, let's see, having exhausted the redeployment issues, having looked at the uh, uh, exemption issues, we were, we were praying to the grace of the grace of the Lord. And, and it was very much an Exodus moment, you know, when, when that Red Sea yeah. parted. Yeah. yeah? Paul, really I think our position is that, um, you know, mandatory medical treatment is, is never justified. The government shouldn't force anybody to do something with their own body. I mean, that's, that's really the position here, isn't it, Paul? Uh, yes, I mean, we could, in in some very rare circumstance where something absolutely deadly like Ebola was spreading round and literally wiping out the um, wiping out the <laughs> the populace, uh, then then maybe you could even you could start looking at it being proportionate and proportionate to kind of mandate some treatment there. In, in some very very outrageous kind of situation, but um, but we don't think that that's uh, applicable in this situation. Um, and, well, I think and... Kuiper objected to smallpox vaccinations back in the day when smallpox was the big threat. Yeah. Not, I mean, not objecting is... to vaccination as a as a vaccination, but objecting to the government mandating it. That's the point. Yeah, it, it is about the compulsion element, mm. and and in general, if something is, you know, what one of the issues that the government raised when it said that it. Uh, is get, it's turning its uh, back on this policy is that these vaccines weren't giving the long lasting uh, effects that they were hoping they would so with up with some of these other vaccines then you get vaccinated once early on in life and you are set because they give you lifelong um, protection from the disease and you also get the herd immunity from lots of people having them sure. um, that was not what was happening with these vaccines sadly in a, in yeah. a sense uh, yeah. because because uh, you get uh, evolutions of, of the virus, new variants, these sorts of things um, that would evade these vaccines and their protections. So um, yeah. these vaccines were not as good as things like the smallpox vaccine. Yeah. Mm. Very good. Well, listen, great work, Navade. Well done with that. And what a relief that the government has back Amen. down even if it was at the very last moment and Amen. and was not before many people sadly have, have lost their jobs um and we pray for those people that god would really bless them and honor them in trying to obey their consciences um in can i just uh, Tim, yeah I drop, but you said good good work I, I i'm not i i i'm just an individual i'm part of a team a wonderful team led by led by andrea uh, we've got some you know key key people so so it, you know it's the whole team um sure. that is that, that should actually you know you know be, be listening to that because you know one person is is, is nothing really but you know just, but just praise god for the principled stand you know i just want to shout out to andrea on that and and, and the rest of the team yep it's it, you're absolutely right thank you for that it's a team where it's a team job so and it's, and just, and it's a team that only functions because there's a, a much wider group of oh people. yes absolutely forgive me you yes make so it happen. Um, absolutely yeah, absolutely without the enablers we we couldn't do anything absolutely absolutely yes of course fantastic so um listen so moving moving on from that then um we have released this week a um prayer resource called uh true love speaks i've got a copy of it there um using it to hide my face on screen um there you go and you can download it as well on the internet um, and um, I'm sure my colleagues have put the link up there on the screen um, for us. Um, Paul, talk us through what we're trying to achieve with this um, resource for people to pray. Just a, a simple prayer pointer for each day of Lent, I think it's got in there. That's right. So um, 
So, so this is our booklet. I've got one too. Uh, you can find out more about all of this at christianconcern.com slash true love speaks. But let me explain it a little bit. Uh, as it says on the screen there, um, it's about praying through Lent. Lent is something that Christians um, across the world and throughout the ages um, have done. It's not something that Christians have to do, uh, but it's a way of uh, thinking through this period um, up until Easter and thinking how uh, God would like to uh, change us, uh, to renew us, to get us prepared for, for Easter um, and to, to seek new ways of following Christ through that period. So people fast and they pray uh, through through Lent. You know, uh, they stop eating pancakes in some cases. Um, I used to start eating pancakes, which was a slightly <laughs> odd thing to do. Um, but um, <laughs> but it can be a really useful and valuable time just to, to work through these things. Um, and generally people think of Lent as you give up something. So something that was maybe holding you back, maybe something sinful, but maybe something like social media use, uh, using your phone all the time, people would kind of give something up through Lent and try and stop doing something that uh, was leading them away from Christ in some way. Uh, what this campaign is more about is taking something up that we should be doing. Christians can, um, can often uh, you know, it's very, very important to stop doing the things we shouldn't be doing, but we can also fail to do things that we know we should be doing. And so that's what that's part of what we're uh, thinking about with True Love Speaks. Uh, and with this little booklet and you can get a downloaded copy, you can find other things on social media. Um, we're really encouraging Christians through this period to see how they can be um, lights for Jesus uh, in their lives. True Love Speaks. This is about um, about enabling us and changing us as Christians so that we would be the kind of people who do bring hope to our societies, to our communities, uh, to our neighbours, to, ev to everyone we see in the workplace, um, in the shop, who knows, e everywhere. So lots of these um, prayer points, that they can cross two different things. Uh, some of them are related to Christian concern, Christian legal centre cases, where someone who we know, um, who maybe Nevaeh can talk about a bit later, um, uh, one of our cases um, has spoken out and has uh, suffered consequences for it. It's about supporting those people. But a lot of them are about changing us, God changing us uh, and making us into the kind of ambassadors for Christ uh, that we know we all want to be. Uh, so literally the first prayer point was for last Wednesday. It says, thank God uh, that he has called us to be ambassadors for Jesus. Pray that he would give you boldness and opportunities to speak for Jesus in the coming weeks. So it's a simple little prayer point. Um, something uh, you can see, you can see the uh, what what I'm talking about there. Yep. Um, it's a simple little prayer point that you could add to your quiet time each morning, um, just to help think about uh, how we can be transformed into those kinds of people um, who live and speak for Jesus. And mm. uh, one other thing to mention is at the end of each week, you can see at the bottom there, yep. uh, a little action you can take as well. Uh, so on Sunday, you'll be encouraged to write down the name of three non-Christian friends. Uh, and this is a this is a message about uh, this is an action about uh, sending a message to those people and letting them know you value them and that you're praying for them. It's just a simple little way that lots of Christians can uh, can be encouraged and nudged on a little bit in terms of uh, speaking out of the love that we have for Christ and for our neighbours. That's great. Um, so. Um really good to get people praying and uh, and also thinking about these things and um i know that many people watching and listening are supporters of ours um if you're not do sign up for our weekly emails 
chrisazone.com forward slash hello and so on. And um, and I know many people do pray for us regularly and do donate as well. But this is a great way to get into praying through some of these issues um, that people face and um, that people get feel challenged by. But Naved, you work with some of the bravest people out there, don't you, who um, realise they're going to get into trouble for their Christian faith, but still decide it's worth it because they want to express their Christian faith or you know, talk about it at work or whatever it might be. That is that, that is the real privilege of, of, of working for this organization you know christian concern in that sense is is almost unique um and yes i mean i'm thinking of somebody like you know christy higgs um yeah. who uh who's who's uh, returning to court um, very soon um mm. you know she she's she was a parent i mean she came as you know she was a parent she was a teacher uh, she was a teaching uh, assistant in a particular school but her son went to that school and she had gone to that school and when she saw what the the, uh, the, the school was w- w- was teaching on a private um, uh, sort of, you know, message, as it, as it were, not connected with the school at all, okay? As a parent, she expressed what, you know, what she said. Now, mm. someone found that and, you know, made the deliberate link, as it were, and um, had her forced out of her, forced out of her job. Um, Christy, the most gentle, kind, uh, sensitive and intelligent person you, you, you'd ever meet, um, she just wasn't going to compromise as a mm. mother, as a parent. She just wasn't mm. going to compromise and just say, "Oh well, look, I'm sorry. I know my views are wrong." No, and and that is that that's just a specific case. But every mm. single one of our cases is a, is around that, and that's why Christian concern is so vital. Because who else is dealing with that when people say, "Look, I know this is unpopular, but it's mm. true." Mm. Yeah, mm. you know, just like they say, you know, you, mm. you know, you can be sincere but sincerely wrong. Actually, truth is everything in that sense. This this yeah. is true, and and on, yeah. on on a much wider scale, obviously, you know, one has to stand, make a personal choice to stand for justice and truth, because otherwise, yeah. where are we? Where are we? And yeah. that's why Christian concern is so vital. Yeah, and Paul, do you get the impression there are lots of Christians out there who actually try and keep their faith very quiet and don't ever speak? And is, is that part of the purpose of the messaging here, True Love Speaks, on these on this length thing? I think there are lots of Christians, you know, and I think probably even within Christian concern, including me, who are just a little bit hesitant when um, when with non-Christian friends. Um, even though we love Jesus, we, we know that what he has is good for other people, good for society, good for us. Uh, we can be a bit hesitant to, to speak about Jesus. And, mm. um, and here's the other side of it. You hear a story like Christy Higgs, who was speaking out of compassion and love and care for for children and that they wouldn't be un, inappropriately sexualized at a young age, these sorts of things. Um, she spoke out of love in a Facebook post that was private and two Facebook posts that were private and she loses her job. Now we at Christian Concern, we have to tell that story because that's a really important story um, that the law is essentially at the moment allowing this to happen in her mm. case, because she lost mm. at the employment tribunal, not even because of what she said, but because of what people thought uh, that she was saying. Mm. Um, we have to explain that there are real challenges around freedom of speech and our freedom to act as Christians in these kinds of ways. Yeah. But on the other hand, we don't want to tell people not to do it. We don't want to extinguish the light of the world. We're called. The, we're told, told we're the lights of the world. We're not to hide our light under a bushel. Um, you know, we are to 
speak about Jesus. Um, so when we tell everyone how dangerous it can be sometimes yeah. to speak truthfully about these things, mm. we don't mm. want to be telling people, stop speaking about it. Stop speaking about Jesus. We don't want to say that. We want to say, no, we've got to keep on doing it. We've mm. got to be confident. Mm. We've got to be courageous for Christ. Um, mm. And there, But there might sometimes be consequences. Um, mm. We mm. ought to expect that. Jesus told us that you know, blessed are we when people revile us and persecute us for um mm. believing in in jesus and they it talks even well in... it's about um also it's about fear of man isn't it over against fear of god and i think um if we have that in perspective you know then then we're not going to be afraid of what man might do or think um and, um, and it's, not an excuse, it's not an excuse either just to speak truthfully but without any love whatsoever we're not we're not wanting yes. to say that either um yes. but we and and so we you know i think they <laughs> often is encouraging people to, to make sure that they're, they're expressing themselves in, in the way that people will be able to, to relate to. I imagine you're doing that sometimes. We sometimes I, have to... No, I, absolutely. We, you know, we, we have to find the balance between truth and love. And three preachers do, you know, ring us and say, well, what, what can you do? Um, and, and, you know, we do ask them to, to, to be, but we never, we, we, we encourage them to be bold, but we can encourage them to speak the truth in love because obviously, you know, fundamentally what, it, what is, what is the aim here? The aim is to win people, to win people's souls. Yeah. yeah? And so there, and there, and, 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 you know, you can catch more flies with, with honey than, than, than vinegar, but you mustn't compromise. So there is a balance there and you're absolutely right. Uh, you know, Paul, you've, you've hit the nail on the head. It's truth with love. Brilliant. Well, do get hold of that resource and pray with us through Lent. We really appreciate your prayers. Um, really, really helpful to get people praying for us and sense that people are praying for us and not just for us, but for our clients as well and for the nation and the politicians and all of this and the schools and all of these various issues that are related as well. So uh, we really want to see a change of heart across the nation. And Amen. we think that what that requires is bold Christians who speak the truth in love. And uh, if we have a few of those around the place, we can get this nation changed and transform uh, our culture. Um, and and just uh, as a note, so just to remind people, christianconcern.com slash true love speaks. And you can actually order these booklets at the moment. We're sending them out. We've got some that you can send. Um, I've got a whole stack here to give to uh, people at my church later on today. It's not too late to start. I know it's it started Wednesday, but there's still about 45 prep, prep, prayer points left. <laughs> Um, so it's not too late to to uh, to go to that site, True Love Speaks, on our website and to order more copies. Great. Thank you, Paul. Um, thanks, Navade, And uh, thank you all for listening and watching. Um, do join us again uh, next week and, um, in, and uh, enjoy praying and uh, engaging with all this stuff over Lent. Thank you. Thank you.